You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. Here from the Eagle Newsroom, this is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle over there. Alex Miller, also with the Eagle. Up here is the most important guy. That's former Texas A&M catcher Mikey Honer coming to you live from the thriving metropolis of Corsicana. Uh, Mikey, how's it going, man? Things are well. Things are well in the can, as we like to call it. I'm over here at Navarro College and uh, enjoying and soaking up every minute of baseball I can. Getting getting some fruitcakes from Corner Street Bakery and and the like. <laughs> oh yeah, go. yeah. I've been loading up on Corner Street Bakery fruitcakes. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, Mikey, tell tell a little bit about what you're doing now uh, and uh, what where, where your your career path has taken you. All right. So uh, I'm currently, uh, like you guys said, in Corsicana, Texas, coaching at Navarro College, known for its cheer program now. Um, I am a grad assistant here. I'm uh, finishing my uh, graduate degree in sport management through A&M online. Uh, and as I do that, um, I'm, I'm coaching as well. So this is my first little year of coaching. And let me tell you, it's completely different. You go from competing to, you know, now I got to get someone else to compete. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment, but I've enjoyed it a lot. Well, at, from one former catcher to another, that's basically all catching is. It's just to get the non-athletes to compete, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I wish, I wish it were that simple. I really do. Uh, but, uh, things have been good and it's been a completely different experience over here, but I've enjoyed it. You got any great Juco stories yet? <laughs> I got some great stories, but I don't know if they're, uh, if they're good for the air. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, uh, well, yeah, how is, how are y'all doing at Navarro this year? What's, what's the program like and, and brag on your guys a little bit. You know, I, I would love to brag on my guys. We did struggle a little bit this year. I'll be straight up honest with you. We didn't have the best year. Um, we do have new coaching staff. Uh, I came in with a new head coach, Woe Dill, and uh, he coached and played here before, and he was a part of the national championship team. He, he led the national championship team in 2011. Uh, and then I'm also coaching with Roberto Gallegos, and uh, he played and coached here and also coached at OU, and now he's back. So I've been able to learn a lot under them. And uh, as far as our guys go, uh, you know, we got great players. And uh, as far as the junior college route goes, I'm a big advocate for it. I feel like there's a lot of dudes in the field that we have in our team and also that we play against. So it's uh, it's been good to get back to this level and uh, see the talent and be around some guys that just really love baseball. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and we've, we've joked about it. We'd be remiss to ask, what, what's it like being around around the cheer program with Netflix everywhere and, and what, bringing all that attention to, to good old Corsicana? Yeah, you know, we tell all of our players you have to stay as far as possible away from the cheerleaders. It's just bad news there. But uh, no, man, they uh, they do a great job over there. They they know how to win, uh, and those girls know how to promote their brand for sure. Uh, but as far as the baseball things, we try to keep them focused. <laughs> there you go. They do a pretty good job of keeping everything in check. But uh, there you go. Yeah, there it's, you it's, go. it's pretty cool to be over here and being a part of this. Awesome. So let's get in some Aggie baseball. I know you said you've been able to keep up with, with the Aggies and what they've been doing this year. Um, let's just start off with your, your general uh, observations. What has the uh, uh, season shown you so far and, and what some highlights and things that you could uh, coach them up a little bit. What's your coaching perspective and what the Aggies been able to do this year? I mean, I think right now they don't need any coaching. They just need to go and play. They're doing a great job. Um, you know, it's been cool watching them from afar. Like in the fall, there wasn't much hype around the program. And in the early spring, everyone was kind of talking down on the program. Like, 
oh, well, it's going to take a couple years for them to be good. But the one thing that I've noticed is that they've got great team chemistry and not one of them has given up. And they've all just bought into to what they're doing, bought into the team and just outright emptied the tank every chance they've got. And uh, it's been pretty cool to see them play as one team all together, all bought in. And I feel like that produces a lot of fruit for them. Yeah. Who are some guys that really stood out to you uh, at the plate? And, you know, being a catcher, I'm, I'm sure you catch your eye on some of those pitchers too. Oh yeah, man. It's been really cool to see Nathan Detmer develop, man. And, uh, you know, he's always been a real nice guy, but it's now he's starting to grow into a, a grown man. And he started to embrace that role as a Friday night starter. Uh, Ryan Targosh has been hitting some absolute nukes. I used to relate him to Bryce Blum because I feel like they look the same in stature. He probably won't <laughs> like me for saying that. But, uh, man, he's been doing great. Uh, Austin Bose has been tearing it up. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. And Brett Minnick, he's been showing up as well. It's just uh, I feel like it's been a really group effort. And then he talked about some transfers like Jack Mosh and Clonch and Rock. The guys have been uh, able to handle the middle of the lineup coming in and producing as well. It's just it's amazing how many of these guys are freshmen, guys that have been here before, and guys that are transfers in and how great they've been able to gel. Uh, you know, I just kind of contribute that to the leaders of the team, the older guys being able to to make the team one, because I feel like the division one level, there's a lot of things pulling you different ways, whether that's school, whether that's baseball, there's a lot of things pulling you in different directions, but uh, that team's been able to stick together and, you know, win a lot of games as of recent. Yeah. Let's go back and start with, with Detmer because he's, he's probably been their most consistent guy uh, on the mound through the season. How have you seen from what you can tell on the TV from that, that angle behind home plate? Uh, how has his game developed? I, I know he talked about working on the, the, the breaking ball a little bit. And he also talked about throwing like he's a, a, a six foot five man or ha- however he, he wanted to say that. What, what have you seen from his game that might be a little bit different, a little bit improved from when you were behind the plate? You know, I, you, you go back to first thing I think of Nathan is his game against Texas. And when he went, I think it was either six or seven shutout innings against a really well-ranked Texas team at that time as a freshman. And to be put in that spot and produce how he did, you knew it was in there. And I feel like baseball is a game of consistency. And now you're starting to finally find his consistency and who he is as a player. I feel as a catcher, like, you know, what's in there for just about any pitcher on the staff, you know, they have the stuff, but it's whether they're not, they're able to do that on a daily basis on a daily start and daily relief appearance. And I think that's what you've been able to see with Demer. He's just been more consistent and he's always had it. He's just able to do it more repetitively and more consistently. Yeah. You know, the bullpen has kind of been up and down, you know, there's been flashes of greatness between certain guys. How important is it going to be for AM to kind of figure out who they have and where, who they can be consistent with, uh, especially as they're moving in closer to postseason play. Right. You always lean on one or two or three guys uh, when it comes to the end of the season. You really need those guys to produce. Like I know uh, Moo has been tearing it up as a recent. He's been really starting to to get after. I know Jacob Polish has been doing a great job out of Stanford. Uh, and, you know, you, you need to find those three guys because at the, the end of the day, you want these guys who are nails to come in the game in big time situations. And, you know, throughout the season, you're able to figure out who has proved themselves in those situations. And I think you're starting to see that with this team. So you talk about Moo. He's a guy that that really struggled a lot early in the season and now has been one of the maybe their most nails guys out of the bullpen the last couple of series. I know they talked a little bit about uh, Coach Yeski getting in there, working on his 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 breaking ball and, and being able to drop that in for a strike a little bit more. As a guy who's caught bullpens midweek, what what, what is that like when a guy like Moo and any of these pitchers are, are having a couple of bad outings and they need to get in there and work on stuff? What, what does that look like? And, and how um, how do you see those guys kind of claw out their way out of the situations like Moo's been able to? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. And like when I feel like the worst thing for a pitcher to do is to get in their head about it. And when a pitcher starts thinking about it, man, things really start going downhill. Uh, the biggest problem Moo had last year for me was when he threw his fastball, either went straight or it cut like a foot and a half. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of bullpen catchers that were not happy about their thumbs getting broken. Myself being one of them, but uh, you know, you, you just gotta be, yeah, yeah, you gotta be supportive of them, and uh, they're obviously trying to figure your stuff out mentally and physically. But uh, as long as you're present and you're there and you're helping them out, they usually able to get through it. For me, it's been able, he's been able to do it this season. Last year, he went through ups and downs as well, but uh, you know, it's in there. Like I said earlier, he just gotta be able to find it, and a lot of that bullpen time is to, is to figure that out. So, so here's the question. They have two more series uh, coming up in, in SEC play before they hit the SEC tournament. You played in the SEC tournament. It's a, it's a, a week uh, where, where you might play four, five, maybe even six games. Then you get into a regional where at minimum you're playing three games where you need to have three good outings. If not, you could play up to five to get through that uh, regional. A&M has one series, but they haven't necessarily put three games together. And when they've been able to win games, they've been hitting their way out of it. How important is it to for some of those pitchers for that bullpen to kind of find their stride as they get into postseason play a little bit because they know that you're going to have to put some games together and it's so much harder to hit your way out through through uh hit your way out of out of a situation or hit your way through uh postseason right and and that, you see you hit it right in the head the bats aren't always going to be hot and you're going to need those pitchers especially in the back half to produce I think the greatest job, the best job that this coaching staff has been able to do is continue to give them opportunities. Like for guys like me who struggled, continually throwing him out in big situations to see if he can do it. And with that trust, Moo was able to develop confidence. And I feel like you get that with the guys in the bullpen. You throw them out there in situations where, hey, they might not get it done. It's okay. But if they do get it done, that inside their mental, they're thinking, I got this. Like I start to develop as a player and I'm able to do this in big time moments. So I think for that, like just keep throwing them out there, especially these last two weeks going to SEC play. And the coach staff's been doing a really good job just giving those guys opportunities and, and trusting those guys during the season. Yeah. You know, AM's still looking to put together a complete weekend, but you know, they haven't dropped an SEC series yet. Is that yeah. right, Travis? Uh, they, they've won their last five in a row. Yeah, that's right. You know, just, <laughs> just looking at that and they're tied for fourth in the league standings. I mean, Mikey, you played in this league and you know, this, the, the standings are looking a little different than in recent years where you got Tennessee at the top and Ole Miss Mississippi state are down, but you know, how impressive has it been for AM to consistently win some series knowing that, you know, sometimes they do have to rely on those bats. <laughs> right. And you guys are talking about complete weekends, man. It is one tough thing to sweep an SEC team. That is, that is for sure. Uh, but you no, know, it's, it's definitely been different. You got Mississippi state at the bottom and Ole Miss kind of in the mix, not at the top. Uh, but I mean, it's impressive. It's, I mean, just straight up, it's really impressive to go five weekends in a row winning against some big time opponents, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. Like these are, these are great teams that you're able to put two wins, one on the road. I mean, it's just, these are great weekend series and, you know, maybe they haven't been able to finish that third game, but taking two out of three, five weeks in a row, that's something to really be happy about. And, uh, you take that momentum to the, the postseason, good things will happen to you. For sure. You know, a, a little bit of a swerve here, but, you know, we, we talked to Brett Minich after he hit that walk-off home run and he said, uh, Jim Schlossnagel came up to him and his a bat before and said, you've seen the scouting, you've seen the film on this guy, look for that breaking ball, that final at bat, he's got the, the hanging breaking ball that he was sitting on, he was able to drive it. 
a lot of these guys talk about how scouting has changed in the last four or five, six years because of technology and video. How, how were you able to use it? What does that kind of look like uh, behind the scenes when you're scouting a team, when you're scouting uh, pitchers, uh, when you're you as a catcher are scouting batters? How, how does that system work and what does that kind of look like on a day to day? Yeah, you know, it's a it's amazing the amount of information that these coaches at Division Ones have now with all the, the games being on television. And you can pull up uh, when it comes to scouting reports for other hitters, you're, you're able to have a good 100 at bats with the kids done in past seasons and this season and what he struggles with and what he's good with. And that aspect is really good for the pitcher to understand. And then also from the hitting side, like you talk about, like going throughout the week and seeing the Friday night, the Saturday night, the Sunday night starter where his arm slot is, what pitches he likes to throw in certain counts, and then having that type of information in the dugout. Like in a 2-2 count, this guy throws his breaking ball 85% of the time, or an 0-0 count, or a 3-2 count, what he leans to. And it gets you thinking a little bit, and when you're able to utilize that information for your benefit, it's great. Now, sometimes that information can be a little bit of an overload. Some guys are just like, you know what, hey, let me just play, I can do it. But for a guy like me, or a guy that's maybe struggling a little bit, you take every bit you can get. Uh, so like that has been a real big change and you would be, I mean, I'm just hitting the tip of the iceberg of how much information is out there about certain pitchers, about certain hitters and even tipping pitches like from pitchers. Like you're able to see what this pitcher, how this pitcher comes set when he throws a curveball or how this pitcher comes set when he throws a fastball. Like there's so many little things that you can get off video nowadays and it's incredible. So as you as a catcher and now you as as a coach moving forward, how do you how do you combat that from a pitcher's side when you know that these hitters can see exactly how you come set, exactly uh, the time you take, the pause, the amount of looks you give, all all the above? Yeah, and you, you just got to have a good understanding of like, hey, like, wow, that guy really saw that breaking ball in a 1-1 count well. Like he took that like a man or like in a 2-2 count, he saw that well. And you have to just continue to mix your looks but you also have to pay attention to your guy. It's not just picking the sides of the other team during the game. You have to make sure your pitchers aren't giving away certain pitches in the game as well. So that's definitely how it's changed. Instead of, hey, I'm trying to steal what this guy's trying to pitch, I also have to look at our guys to make sure they're not giving up anything for the opponent. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll go to a little bit. I know new coaching staff uh, uh, with Jim Schlossnagel, of course, leading. You got Nate Yeski and Nolan Kane and Michael Early back there. What have you seen from from these guys? How do things maybe look a little bit different uh, when you're watching them on the TV from maybe before? And um, some things maybe be a little bit the same. You know, it's been uh, it's been a little bit different, a little bit the same. I feel like when uh, Coach Schlossnagel uh, assembled that staff, I was like, wow, I mean, that's a pretty dang good staff. Guy from Arizona, guy from Arizona State, and a guy from LSU, like the, who have got some pretty good, incredible track record records. Like these guys can coach a little bit, and uh, it's been cool to talk to the players. And I guess the atmosphere I get for them is they have every opportunity to get better. And when they talk about Coach Schlossnagel, he's like, I've never met like a, I think a guy told me that I've never met a guy who wants to win as bad as he wants to win. And uh, I mean that's the best compliment a player can give a coach, but. Uh, Hats off to them and what they've been able to do, but uh, it's been it's been pretty cool watching these guys. But that, the coaching staff has, has definitely played a part. And then we'll we'll just kind of wrap it up with where 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 do you see the ceiling is for this team? Where where I, I'm not saying to to predict where they're going to go, but um, what what's the ceiling for these guys this year? And 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 what do you think that 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 they could achieve? 
You know, I mean, I, I hate putting a, a limit on what they can achieve, you know, but if these guys continue to buy into one another, which it looks like they are, if they continue to swing the bats and throw strikes, you know, the sky's the limit for this team. And I, I hate to put a limit on them, but when you're hot, you're hot. And it's real hard to beat a hot team that's winning in late May, early June. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's close it out. Let's go back, uh, bookend with you. Uh, as you continue with your your start of your coaching career here and get stuff, what, what's the future look like for you? Where do you where do you hopefully see yourself here in a, in a few years? You know, I, I want to continue to be coaching. Uh, you know, I'd love to get back in the SEC as a coach. Uh, but as far as that goes, it's uh, it's one day at a time. You know, you can't really wish or hope you get that kind of job. You just got to put the work in daily, uh, get on the recruiting trail, drive to every high school game known to man, and uh, hopefully things will work out. So I plan to just work hard, uh, trust the Lord's plan for me. And, you know, usually I've had pretty good luck with things working out. Awesome. Well, that's Mikey Honer, former Texas A&M catcher and uh, coach of the Navarro Bulldogs out there in Corsicana now. Uh, man, all the best of luck to you, Mikey, and thanks for uh, giving us a few minutes of your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And we'll be back with more Mikey and Estrian podcast after this. Welcome back to the Mike Nation podcast, everyone. It's Alex Miller joined by Travis Brown. Thanks again to Mikey Honer for joining us in the first half of this episode. Always good to talk to Mikey. Always good to talk to Mikey. Always he's, he's so great. Thanks, Mikey. Anyway, let's get back to baseball, Travis. You've been out at the ballpark a ton this spring. It's starting just to become a trend. Anum is a really good hitting team. And they've got really good outings from Nathan Detmer. But beyond that, the pitching is just kind of a mystery every single day. Some days are great for AM, Other days are kind of scary, kind of like the first half of Saturday. Uh, you know, what, what, what are we starting to make of this AM team as you've started to see them more and more as the springs progressed? Yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting because they're a team that can absolutely flat out hit the cover off the ball. They're a good hitting team, a team that... Um, as proven that they can fight their way and win ball games in, a, in an absolute offensive shootout. The thing that concerns me, though, is that it's kind of like if you're a basketball fan, a, a team that's a three-point shooting team. They're going to blow some teams out, and they're going to be able to get back into some games if they get hot from outside. But that one game, that one postseason game where they just can't hit the broadside of a barn, you're left without some answers. And and you you can't. I mean, Jim Schlossnagel said it after the last game last week. You, you it is rare to hit your way into the College World Series. You pitch your way into the College World Series. And, and it's been a little bit of an interesting roller coaster with this team because at the beginning of the season, it was Mike, all Micah Dallas. It was the Micah Dallas show. He was, you knew when he went on the mound, he was going to eat innings and he was going to pretty much come out to where you had a chance to win the ball game. He's had a not so great last four starts for the Aggies. It's actually been Nathan Detmer who's been the really solid guy, the sophomore, um, who, who, who has been the guy that you can really lean on that you know you're going to get a, a win in that Friday night game. The bullpen cost them a lot of games early. Joseph Minifee, who we talked to Mikey Honer about, was, 
I mean, I think he would say he was pretty abysmal. Got into the bullpen, worked on throwing that slider for a strike, and, and he's been able to really come back. And he uh, he's striking guys out. He is probably their biggest uh, strikeout threat on the team. Uh, if you uh, look here, he has 54 strikeouts, which is the most of any reliever. Um, he's only bested by uh, Nathan Detmer, who has, uh, I would venture to guess, exact twice as many um uh, yeah twice as many uh uh, uh innings pitched as joseph Manifi has really turned it on so the bullpen at times has been a little bit better for the aggies as they've gone on a little bit later they still have some inconsistency when you get deep into the bullpen but you know you're gonna have some guys at least in that first game that second game uh that can that can get you some 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 uh wins some good pitches you know, we talk about the bats. One guy that's really starting to just be really consistent power hitter, just Ryan Targoch. I mean, he hit, what, the 487-foot home run. Uh, you know, he's up to 12 home runs now. What have you really seen from him taking off really this last month? Well, and, and he he's a switch hitter. Right. So he can get it done for both sides of the plate. That's a an interesting point. You know, earlier in the year, he hit for the cycle. He's one of two guys, him and, and Jack Moss, who were able to hit for the cycle this year. And, and Jim Schlossnagel made a good point as saying, not only is it rare to see a guy hit from the sh- uh, cycle, let alone two guys in the season, but when one of those guys gets it done from both sides of the plate, that's uh, that's been really interesting. And not to mention, he's a guy that's had to been thrown around defensively a little bit too when Trevor Werner was out with that broken handmate bone. Recovering from that, he was having to play third base. He's a little bit more of a natural second baseman uh, and, and has recently moved back there as Trevor Werner's come back. So a little bit of, of unrest there. But yeah, he's really... Um, been a steady hitting force for them hit there was i mean let's take a timeout on that second three grand slams hit in the series this (laughs) weekend just this is one of the most bonkers nutso out of your mind series that i've ever covered with a&m with just all of the craziness that happened uh you know someone mentioned when talking about exciting you know when i i tweeted out there that it was the most bonkers ridiculous game i'd seen on saturday and someone tweeted back well no it had to been the the morgantown regional where they had the grand slam the blake boast grand slam the golden grand slam yeah to to win it at the end but i I, that was the most exciting like like oh that was that was movie quality comeback win but if you want to talk about that saturday game they're down 9-0 which is just ridiculous to come from that to begin with. They hit a grand slam to help come back from it. And then after they tie it up, they give it up again. And and the hit that they give it up again on is a swinging bunt off the end of the bat that rolls about three or four feet foul and then somehow spins its way back in to where Jacob Palish has to make a really crazy tight play and ends up throwing it away. The only time I've ever seen a ball go that far foul and then come back into play is like in little league games in Dallas where you have the all dirt infields Mm -hmm. and because of weather and stuff, all the sand has gotten pushed up against the dugouts. (laughs) So you'll hit it towards the dugout and then it'll roll back into play. Like that's the only time I've seen something like that. Just, just bonkers. Just crazy. And then the walk off home run. And not to mention in the ninth, AM had pulled Austin Boast, one of their better hitters, to switch in Logan Britt as a defensive, defensive substitution. Mm-hmm. Britt, who has been very inconsistent at the plate, has to bat, draws a walk after going down in the count, 
And then, of course, Minnick hits the home run. And, and to spark the rally before <laughs> that, they throw in Rody Barker, who had one at-bat prior to that all season. And he hits a double to start off the right. inning and then draws a walk later in, as they bat around in that inning. I mean, just, that that was crazy. That was absolutely nutso. Uh, maybe not the most exciting, maybe not the most memorable in some senses, or, or the one that's, you know, going to be on the, on the highlight reels, but just, like, stupid in all the best ways. Uh, crazy. But, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't even remember what the question was anymore. Yeah, here's a guy I want to talk about now okay. as we kind of lost our train of thought, but we can pivot on this. What has the return of Trevor Warner kind of done to this lineup? He was a guy that was going to be one of the better players coming into the season, and he missed a substantial amount of time due to a couple injuries. Yeah, it's been interesting because they actually even bumped him to the top of the lineup to get a few more right-handed bats up there, dropped Cole Kaler down to the nine hole. Um, something that both Rob Childress and Jim Schlossnagel both seem to like to do uh, you know, last year, Cly Harrison, who was playing shortstop, who's also been injured most of the season this year, he was solidly in that nine hole, not because he's the worst hitter on the team, but because he's the best guy to turn the lineup over. He has the ability to get on base, uh, a better on-base percentage. He can hit the ball well. He can move around the base pass well. So that's a little bit of that factor in that nine hole hitter. Seemed like they're kind of trying to do the same thing with Cole Kaler. He, he hasn't necessarily hit the ball well Lately, he did have a home run and 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 all of A and M's RBIs in the Sunday game uh, down in that nine. One that is first of the season too. Uh, second, second one at second. Vanderbilt. Um, but it's uh, he he he's allowing them a little bit more versatility mm-hmm. in in the batting lineup. When you would talk about batting fielding, he's their most natural third baseman on the team uh, and is the most comfortable in that position. Uh, and so it allows them to move. I mean, when 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 Ryan Targoch was Targoch was over playing third base, they had Blake Boast at second, and that was his first time in his career he played second. He actually was learning the the game on the fly, and and while he did a great job. Uh, and you probably wouldn't have necessarily noticed all that much that he had never really played that position before. Playing middle infield, especially in college, um, is a little bit like playing uh, not quite as much like quarterback, but maybe a, a linebacker or a defensive uh, position on football that has to make the calls because they're having to get signals from the dugout related to the infielders sometimes on bunt coverages, know who's t- covering the base on steals. There's a lot of plays and a lot of thing information that's being transmitted uh, to middle infielders uh, at second base, and especially with AM's dugout being on the third base side, a lot of those calls sometimes will go into the second baseman. Uh, and so having to learn that, they had to kind of... I don't want to say dumb down some of their strategy, but they were having to, to implement things slowly um, as he got more accustomed. So then having Targok backed at second base, who has uh, had a lot of experience with that, knows the plays, knows the calls, knows the systems. Um, they, they've been able to expand that a little bit more. Um, so Werner, he hasn't been on that same tear that he was on early to start the season, but he provides a little bit more flexibility through the lineup. Just kind of looking at the conference standings right now. AM's tied for fourth with LSU. Got the got the head to head over the Tigers with that series win. You know, what do you kind of make of AM where they're at? And, you know, looking at looking at as the conference tournament approaches, how valuable would it be to have one of those top four seeds knowing that your pitching depth probably isn't that great? And you can make a, maybe a little bit of a run in Hoover how, going down the line against some of these other teams that are going to have to go down the line in their bullpen. Yeah, it's going to be huge. The, the the fewer amount of games that A&M can play in the postseason is going to be better for them just because they don't have that pitching depth. And Jim Schlossnagel, 
it has not minced words about it. He has said exactly that, that they have to have the pitching show up because you can't make it through the grind of, of day in every day baseball when you don't have pitching staffs. Cause you think about it, um, you know, Nathan Detmer was a guy who was starting to come into his own there at the end last year and, and, and did some stuff uh, in, in the conference tournament last year. And you have guys like uh, two or three years ago, Moo Minifee made a start in the uh, SEC tournament where he's pretty much always been a relief guy. You have to have guys who are going to come up and be able to start uh, and eat innings and, and not get too deep into your bullpen. Because if you get too deep into your bullpen early, even if you win the first game, you're hung out to dry mm-hmm. uh, in that day in, day out. Because it's not like the major leagues where you can just send right. someone down, call someone up and have some fresh arms. You're, you're stuck with what you've got. And it, uh, Schlossnagel joked uh, at this point, they're going to be throwing position players by the end of the, <laughs> if they don't have some more guys step up. To that extent, uh, another guy that I would bring up is, is, is Wyatt Tucker, right? Uh, pitcher who, uh, you know, I, I went out early in the season to do a feature and I was out there for practice and they were doing some simulated um, innings, some scrimmage type stuff with some pitchers who haven't necessarily got a whole lot of innings. A- and he was a guy that they had in that group of guys that were just they were trying to kind of get them into the groove of something to see if they would be an option. And, and he did really well then. And he's actually really excelled lately, had his longest outing uh, this weekend uh, on, on Saturday. It was mm-hmm. um, when, when uh, Micah Dallas was only able to go an inning and a third, uh, put in, I think five and a third innings uh, longest outing through, I want to say about 80 pitches, which is the most amount of pitches and, and really uh, did a, a, a really solid job and, and kind of has separated himself as maybe another one of those guys uh, who could be that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be getting into who can be starting pitching options for them because they're going to need uh, some more of those as they go in uh, throughout the, the SEC tournament and uh, the postseason after that. You know, with 14 wins already in the SEC uh, Anum's probably pretty squarely in the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament. If they lost out, they'd probably still make it in at 14 and 16. Region, regional hosts is definitely a conversation, something that seems crazy that AM's even the discussion for when when we look at where they were six weeks ago. But, you know, where where exactly does AM fit into that equation right now? Because you look at some of the projections, like D1 baseball's got them as like a top eight seed. And some of these others, like Baseball America, AM's kind of in the nine to sixteen range. What's a fair assessment of where AM probably is at this point? It's so hard to say. I mean, the 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 reason why there's a discrepancy there in some of those polls is you have D1 baseball who they do a great job. We have Kendall Rogers on here all the time. Right. The fact that they've only been a company for about a decade and the NCAA already recognizes their poll as a poll is unbelievable. But they have four guys who are coming together and, and making a poll as opposed to a lot of these, like the Baseball Writers Association, which is kind of our in-house style rankings that we go with here at the Eagle. I mean, they have a, a group of, of a committee that comes together to, to, to make those. And so you have a little bit different singing up opinions and a little bit of votes. It tends to kind of spread things out to whether maybe you have four guys who are coming in trying to put it together. Not saying anyone is better or, or right or different. It's just that's kind of why you get a little bit of a difference is, in, in some of those polls. That being said, um, I, I do think right now with the way that they're hitting the ball that they are a top 16 team. And when you're a top 16 team, you're a national seed and you host a, you host a regional. I think that's where they are. They come in at 23. They're actually up to, I believe it was 13 on Saturday. Yeah. And that South Carolina loss dropped them 11 spots, I believe it was. To, to, they to really took a hit with that loss. Um, but there's a committee that puts this together just like 
the the college basketball tournament, right. and they're going to see that some of the schools that are ahead of them, if they stay around this twenty three range and they win the last two series, which if they win the last two series, they're probably going to move back up. But if they were the committee were to look at it now, you look at teams like Vanderbilt. Well, they beat them. Texas, the A and M beat them. Um, LSU, A and M beat uh, beat them. A lot of these Georgia, A and M beat them. Arkansas, A and M beat them. That there's a lot of these schools that are ranked higher than them in the RPI that A and M handled pretty well throughout the season. And I would find it hard to believe that those teams would get a national seed and a hosting bid over A&M as it stands right now. Now, uh, Mississippi State is about the worst team in the conference right now. They're really floundering, uh, which is surprising after a national championship run last year. Uh, And then Ole Miss, Ole Miss started out as maybe what some people thought might be the best team in the SEC and they haven't been uh, so hot. What's what you, I know you have it. What's yeah, their record they're, right they're now? Back, they're back to 10 and 14, 27, 19 overall. They're, they're, they've rebounded well over the last few weeks. But but two lower RPI teams. Right. So it's not necessarily going to give A&M a huge boost. Uh, this is kind of one of those situations where they they need they can't afford to lose them because losing would probably hurt them more than winning is going to help them um, going into those final series. But it's two very winnable series. I, from what I asked Mikey, I want to see them go out and sweep one of these series because that shows that they have the the pitching depth to get through all three games. Because like Schlossnagel said, like we said with Mikey, and and like I've said here. You're you're not going to hit your way into the College World Series. You're not going to hit your way through the SEC tournament, and you're not going to hit your. You might hit your way out of a regional, but you're not going to hit your way through a super regional. Um, so they need to have that pitching step up. And what better time than now to do it when you have two of the not so hot teams uh, in the SEC rolling through here in the next two weekends? Also helps that there's no. Uh, we're we're recording this on a Tuesday. There's no midweek game this week, right? Uh, so they're able to save some of that pitching. Um, heading into the weekend and have a completely full bullpen uh, and, and starting pitching staff going into this weekend school's, series. School's about to be done. School's done this week, too. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, other interesting note, when you want to look at some of these analytics and stuff, when you talk about getting into the regional, that hosting picture, 13-8 uh, and eight in quad one wins, I believe there's there that ties them for third of most quad one wins uh, in, in the country. And I'm trying to think. I it think was, the most is 15. Georgia Tech's got yes, 15. Yes, that's who it was. Georgia Tech has 15. And then I'm going to, I don't have it printed out. But yeah, <laughs> A&M is tied for third. Um, they, they were coming out of that series in the most quad one wins, which is another usually big factor in, in a lot of times with these looking when they, when you're on that bubble of hosting, not hosting. Well, but, in. Unfortunately for A&M, you know, they took that series loss to Penn at the beginning of the season. And mm-hmm. Penn is actually doing really well. It, right. I, it, for a, a series that you lost, it's turned out to be not a bad loss in that sense. Yeah, that's they're going to be a, a, an NCAA tournament team um, for sure. And maybe even on uh, the, the two line. I know some right. of the projections had them up on the two line in, in whatever region they might go for. So, um, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. But A&M has certainly... Uh, that that helped them out, um, and they've helped themselves out by by getting a lot of ranked, important, good wins. So, I, right as it sits right now, I don't actually really, if if from my perspective, I don't put them much on the bubble to host. I think they're pretty well in in around the um, 13, 11 to thirteen seed range uh, when it comes into the tournament, which isn't super on the bubble. Um, if they if they lose one of these series. That pushes them a little bit more on the bubble, right? As it says right now, they 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 should be hosting again. 
I think when you look at the polls and the discrepancies, if you've watched this team, you know it's a team that can hit their way into any game possible, but you just don't know what pitching is going to show up. And that's just... That's a that's a big gamble when it comes to college baseball. So I don't blame people for having A and M in the top ten because when they're on, they're for sure a top ten team. But I also don't blame some of the polls that have them a little bit lower because their pitching staff hasn't shown any consistency. And and you you got it. The law of averages typically says at some point the bats are going to cool off. Um, right. They they might not. They might just be that good of a hitting team. But it, it it's hard to go in and say that they're going to just keep the bats that hot all the way through the postseason and, and ride the bats to Omaha. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting little stretch run of the season here um, to see how things can gel and come together in the last two weeks before they hit postseason play because it's a team that's built to do some stuff in the regular season. I'm not convinced yet. It's a team that's built to make it through a postseason run. Well, I guess we'll have to find out and see what they end up doing, but I think that's all the time we got today, Travis. I think so so too. that was a great discussion. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And thanks again to Mikey for giving us some of his insights up in the can, as he said. So course, yeah, the can Corsicana. Yeah. Uh, you get the get some some Corner Street Bakery, Collins Street Bakery, Collins Street Bakery, some fruit cakes. You know, go watch a Netflix documentary. Yeah. Drive a little bit up the, of I forty five. You can go see a a, a, a outdoor drive in movie in Ennis. So great, they great got a Bucky's. There. They got a Buc- I mean, that's really what I'm here for is just the Bucky's. But good, good <laughs> little good little stretch I forty five right there. All right, well, be sure to check TheEagle.com for all of our coverage on Texas A&M baseball. And thanks again for tuning into this episode. We'll see you next week on the Miami Nation Podcast. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way it must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we got to watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. Don't want to make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. Don't want to make sure that we'll be all.